Well, good morning, church. How you doing? All right. You ready to jump right into our marriages? <laughs> I heard the verbal no. So, all right. Well, uh, you know, um, and there's two choices then. Oh, hey, now uh, we're going to jump into it. If you got in here and didn't get sermon notes, uh, lift up your hands and we will get those rolling to you. Uh, we're going to look at this and we're going to ask this question about what does Jesus have to offer or bring to our marriages? So there was a time in church history when uh, the prevailing heresy or false thought was that all of this supernatural stuff, like Jesus was born of a virgin, he died on the cross, he rose from the dead, he ascended up into heaven. All of that was kind of being rejected by this heresy that was growing. And so the church decided they needed to put together a belief system so everybody knew, you know it as the creeds, the Apostles' Creeds, the Nicene Creed, right? I believe in God the Father, mighty maker of heaven and earth. So it's ringing a bell now. And if you'll know in the creeds, it says that Jesus was born of a Virgin Mary, died on the cross, rose from the dead, ascended into heaven, sits or sitteth at the right hand of God, right? And what is missed in the creeds there? Well, everything Jesus did on this is out because at that particular time in church history, they were combating the rejection of those things. I believe today that if there's a struggle in the church world, it is that we believe very strongly in the virgin birth, the death on the cross, the raising from the dead, the ascension of Christ, sits at God's right hand, the Holy Spirit in our life. But we might, if we need to hear a word, if we need a creed written, it might be that we have lost sight of what happens in between that. Or say like Matthew 3 through Matthew 26, all about Jesus' life. What did he teach? How are we to live? If there's a struggle, it might be that Christians have this, the belief systems, the before and the end, but they've missed that there is a way we're to live our lives here on this earth. And Jesus actually speaks into it. And so this morning, we're talking about that as it relates to our marriages. How do we live out our marriages? Because if we want, we can kick up our feet to culture, and your marriage and my marriage can look just like any other marriage in the world. You know, it's wonderful. We have exciting love and emotional feelings. We get married. But when we start to hit the rocky things of life, there's always an escape route. We'll just get out, and we'll restart somewhere else. Jesus has something different and deeper to offer us in our marriages. So let's jump right into it. Uh, again, if you didn't get it and you would like one of these, just slip up your hand, Pastor Anson. He is ready, locked, and loaded to bring you those. I told you three things last week I want to remind you of, and that is that as we talk about these things in this series, they're incredibly practical, but number one, they won't be easy. It's not easy to put these things into practice. I'm going to teach you three questions to ask in your marriage. These are not easy things to ask. The second one is these things will go against contemporary culture. They just won't look the same as contemporary culture. You would have got that loud and clear if you listened to last week's teaching. They just don't line up. Listen, we're not going out as Christians and saying, I really want to figure out how I can really anger and offend people, right? <laughs> I'm going to use my Christianity as a weapon to do that. No, we're never called to do that. But there's no doubt about it. It will look different how we're called to live and what we're called to put into practice in our life. 
So they'll go against culture. But the third thing, these things will bring the life that Jesus offers. At our core, what we're saying is a life in the Holy Spirit. We spent 13 weeks in Acts talking about that. But then practically, how does this play out, this life in the Spirit? These type of things will bring life. So are you ready? Three questions to ask your marriage to jump right into it. Now, somebody already elbowed their spouse and was like, pay attention, right? I think it's for all of us. I mean, I put this together, and these are things that are on my heart. In fact, none of these things we talk about today, you'll say, oh, I think he talked about that one time. He talked about that another time because they're so important, right? But this week, my heart was convicted about this too. And I thought, man, I need to do a better job in this area as well. So we'll jump into the first question. Take a look at your notes. The first question to ask of your spouse to build great marriage is this. How can I serve you today? How can I serve you today? I mean, when we look at our spouse and we ask the question, how can I serve? We could stop the sermon right now. We don't have to go any further. And this could transform your marriage if you were to ask this question, how may I serve you? Think about it this way. Your neighbor who you don't really know. You've got one? You've got one in your neighborhood, right? They live really close. In fact, right now you're already feeling guilty that you have not gone over and introduced yourself, right? What if you did that starting tomorrow, every single morning you went over to that neighbor who you currently don't really know and said, hey, how can I serve you today? Would that dynamically change that relationship with that neighbor? Yeah. Uh, hopefully for the good. They might call the cops on you. I'm not sure. But, but hopefully for the good. We think sometimes a simple question like this won't transform the relationship I have with the person I'm closest to. But chances are most of us function in life not asking a question like this nearly enough. How can I serve you today? Left alone in kind of our, our selfish human nature that tries to sneak its way in, I more want to ask the question, how can you serve me today? I'm smart enough not to verbalize that question, right? Um, but we sometimes think that way. Fortunately, Jesus gives us this great example. It's in Matthew, right? Jesus didn't come to be served, but what? Rather to serve, yeah. Jesus himself saying, look, I didn't come to be served. This makes no sense. Jesus came. He even declares that to be king of the world, to be declared king. Yet, he says, I'm going to serve. Kings don't get served by their subject. That doesn't make any sense. But that's what Jesus says. Now, you can start thinking of examples if you know the Gospels. If you cannot think of examples right now of Jesus serving, listen, I'm telling you, there's no guilt. Just get into the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and read them, and you'll find examples of where Jesus was serving other people. The greatest service, of course, is he went to the cross, but let's not leave out all of the things he did. You know, disciples, children, get away from him, quit bugging him. No, no, children, come, come to me. How about Jesus washing the feet? That didn't make any sense. That was only a servant's job, right? And he washes feet. You could go on and on with examples how Jesus served. Do you remember the passage where, um, where we, we get this, wives submit to your husbands, right? Do you know that passage? Men, you like that passage? Don't answer that, men. Don't, don't respond. Yeah. Like, we actually read this passage, and our world reads the passage, and they read it one way. The man's up here, the woman's down here. You know, get in line, woman. I mean, but that's completely incorrect. 
sometimes if we're not careful, we read the next line where it says, men, love your wife the way Christ loved the church. And we just say, just, I love you, honey. Love you. And like that would do it. That would be enough if I just say those words a few times. We miss that entirely. Right before this in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21, right before Paul talks about this, he says this, submit to each other out of respect for Christ. If you love and honor Christ, submit to one another. And then immediately he says, for example, and then shares the two passages we just talked about that you might know. He is basically saying this, this is how you submit to one another. That's how this marriage thing works. You serve and you submit before one another. Jesus actually puts it in these terms one time. No one has greater love than to give up one's life for one's friend. Familiar with this verse? Here's the problem with this verse for us. We can't empathize with this verse. We've never physically laid our life down. So we romanticize about this passage. We go, wow, that's amazing to lay down one's life just like Jesus did. But we have no context really to put this in. We have a few stories that break every once in a while in the news. We get a lot of it through the movies and TV shows we watch. And, of course, we use Christ as our ultimate example. Here's how I want you to think about this as you're reading it. Greater love has no one in this than you would lay down your life or you would lay down yourself every day. He says for your friends, put it in context of your spouse. Every day you have the opportunity to die to yourself or die to your selfishness for the sake of your spouse or for others around them if, if, if spouse is not your context. That is what we're doing. We're kind of laying ourselves. We're letting a piece of us or a piece of our selfishness die. Or maybe it's not selfishness. Maybe there's nothing wrong with it. It's just we know this is a time I want to serve my spouse instead of what I'm doing or would like to do. That's love. And Jesus said no, no greater love than when we sacrifice of ourselves for someone else. To turn to our spouse and say, how can I serve you today? Please, you don't think this will impact. Just one week. Give it one week. Tomorrow morning when you wake up and just say, how can I serve you today? Here's a word of caution. It's a dangerous question, right? It's dangerous. I mean, you can be asked all kinds of things. You can be in the bed, you know, and you ask, how can I serve you today? Could you get the coffee started, right? Now, in my house, I'm like, I don't even drink coffee, right? I'm getting the coffee started. It's really not a problem, right? Because, I mean, that's how we function. But the question can be very dangerous. What your response would be, what, what response you get. But when you rewire your heart to want to serve your spouse, the question gets easier and easier and easier to ask and to follow. Start tomorrow morning and see if over the next seven days you don't see an impact. Here's the next, I'm sorry, here's the phrase to think about. Prove your love in how you serve daily. Do you remember the old DC Talk song, Love is a Verb? Do you remember that? Some of you are nodding. You know, some of you my age are nodding back there. Rich, will you sing a little bit for us on that? That is not singing, Rich. That was just re... I, that's what I just did. I just said the line. I was expecting a little bit of rhythm. So, yeah, uh, love is a verb. It means that prove it by your action. Do something with it. You serving your spouse? Do something. Serve it. Prove it this week. Here's the second question to ask. If 
if serving each other as today is kind of a daily thing, there's even a long-term thing to ask, too, and that is, how can I help you thrive in this life? How can I help you thrive to become the person God has called you to be? The, the thing he's designed you to be, how can I help and be a part of that process? Take a look at this passage. He's given some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, some teachers. Let's pause there for a minute. Um, look at those less as occupations because we've put those into occupational terms in our current society. Think about those more as characteristics of this, the characteristics of an apostle or a prophet. Um, and we don't have time to go fully into that, but it encompasses really all Christians to some degree. His purpose was to equip God's people for the work of serving and building up the body of Christ until we all reach unity of faith and knowledge of God's Son. God's goal is us, for us to become mature adults, to be fully grown, measured by the standard of the fullness of Christ. That means God has empowered you, like he's even gifted you for the purpose of you coming to full maturity of faith. I remember a few years ago we walked through this. Maybe some of you remember this this discipleship wagon wheel. And we said there's people that are pre-Christians, right? But when they come to know Christ, they're baby Christians. They don't really know anything about the faith. Everything is brand new. And then they become child Christians. And, and children Christians are, are, you know, they want to follow Christ, but they still have a little bit of their selfishness, and they're kind of learning that process. And then they become young adults where they start to understand what really serving and sacrificing is. And then the next one seemingly should be Adult Christians, right? But we said, we're going to use a different word, and it was the word parent Christian. Because we wanted people to understand, you're not an adult Christian because you've been in church for 30 years, right? It's not a longevity thing. What are you doing with your faith? And we said that it is a parent Christian, and a parent Christian because it assumes you have a child that you're building into, not your own earthly child, but a spiritual child you're actually building and discipling someone else. What's the point? That is the journey we're on. We're all gifted and built into in a certain way by God so that we can come to full maturity in faith, to be grown, measured by the standard of the fullness of Christ. That's what the passage is leading us to. But we can't do this alone. That's what I found. Have you found this in the Christian faith? That just to go at it alone, it's tough. In fact, we find over and over the community passages are so significant even Paul, who wrote the first passage, writes this. So continue encouraging each other and building each other up just like you're doing. Hey, love what you're doing, Paul's saying. Keep doing it. Build each other up and encourage each other because there's something God wants to create in you that this community helps. The same is true in our marriage, and I think even deeper to some level, that when we say, I'm going to help my spouse thrive to become the person God has designed them to be. I think in reality, what, what we often do is we're working really hard to become the person we think God has called me to be, and we should, as far as a believer in Christ goes. But when we start to look at career paths, how is my spouse gifted, and where could they go in life in that gifting, and what could they do? And when we start to ask ourselves, how can I help them thrive to become that? This is a long-term question. In fact, I've seen couples sometimes where they take a season of their life 
where somebody steps out of what they want to do and they're striving to do so a spouse can finish schooling or a spouse can do a different job for a little while or their spouse can step out of a job entirely for a while or whatever. There's these seasons of life. And what they're saying to each other is, I want to help you thrive and become the person God has designed you to be. I know currently a, a, a couple that the spouse stepped out of where they were serving so that they could both together walk through the discipleship that we're, we're doing. And that was a way of saying, I want to help you thrive as well. We're both going to take the discipleship class. That type of thinking. Now, word of caution. Don't start with, oh, how can I help you thrive? I really want to advance in my career, right? Well, let's change everything around so they can advance in their career. Don't start with that question. Start over here where you say, how do I help you thrive to become the person God wants you to be? And within that, as you're growing in your faith, God might say, here's a career opportunity. Or God might say, remember when you really wanted that? That's not the path, and it becomes clear. And instead, it's this. Start with a question about how God wants to help you thrive and become the person he wants you to be. Here would be the, the phrase to remember. Prove your love in how you build daily. And like many large structures, they're not all built in one day, right? You build a little bit each day, and you keep working at it day after day after day, keeping the focus and goal in mind. Here's a third question. I think this is one of those significant questions you can ask. In fact, it's not a new question. You've heard me ask it before, but let's put it in this context of marriage. The question is this. What does love require? What does it require? What is love asking of you that's in this situation? In fact, sometimes I actually have uh, couples that come in and they want to sit down and talk about marriage. Uh, and sometimes they're very good, productive conversations, right? Some other times, they resemble a little bit more uh, two eight-year-olds fighting on the playground, right? <laughs> Even in those where they're kind of fussing back and forth, he did this, she said this, well, I did it, you know, um, you know what it looks like. They will still say something like this, but we love each other. And I'll propose a question sometimes, well, what, you know, why in the world are you together? This sounds terrible, right? Oh, but we love each other, which will leave me going, I'm really confused, <laughs> But to propose the question then, okay, what does love require then? What does love ask of you? You see, when we put that into context and we start to ask what does love require, we start to recognize things in our life, maybe our own selfishness. We start to recognize the things that my spouse needs of me or the situation needs of me, and on and on and on. What does love require? Jesus is our great example. He says this. This is my command. That means it's pretty strong, right? Love each other just as I have what? Loved you. Jesus is saying, look, I, I don't, you don't need to know everything there is about love in the world, right? Or at least what our world throws at it. Just simply do this. Read the Gospels. Find out how Jesus loved and just get in line and follow that. You're going to be in really good shape if you would do that. Apply that to your marriage. You're going to be doing really well if you would love in this way. Think about it. Uh, the authors, Paul, Luke, John, Peter, the other authors of the New Testament, they had about as much to go off of as you have to go off of the Gospels, right? When they wrote their letters, 
And when they wrote this, they wrote about how they understood this love working out practically. How does Paul write it? Take a look at the passage. He says, now faith, hope, and love remain. Listen, faith and hope, those are like really good Christian words, like, right? My faith in God, my faith in Jesus Christ, my hope, you know, of all the things I could place my hope in in the world, I place it on Christ. Those are really good things. And love, these, the, these three things. And the greatest of these is what? Well, yeah, my faith and hope in Jesus Christ. That makes sense to us as Christians. We speak over and over about those things. Now, he says love. And now, before you think, oh, well, he must be talking about love of God, love of Christ. No, read the passage before that. We just talked about it last week, 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8. Some of you had it at your wedding, right? It's talking about how we love one another and how we interact. And Paul's actually saying this love of Christ that we know actually practically played out Meaning, I love Christ here, I understand what he's asked, and then I offer that and in my relationships. And Paul's actually saying, that's the most important thing. So important. Now, he assumes something here. He assumes that if you're going to love this way, you would have no idea how to do it if you didn't have this relationship in balance and in check with the Lord. He assumes something. But he's also saying, don't stop here. You know, oh, I love Jesus. I love Jesus. I love my time with God. I just don't really like people, all right? And Paul's saying, that don't work. It doesn't work. Now, think about this, reply, uh, applying this to your marriage. When you look, and that type of love is the most important thing you can offer one another, it leads us back to the question, what does love require then? What is love asking you about or for? In our Discovery Bible studies that, that uh, a couple of us are, are leading, one of the key questions that's asked after reading the passage is, if we believe this is the Word of God, not everybody sitting in our Discovery Bible studies do. We're, we're trying to share with people some are far from God. But if we believe this is the Word of God, what does this passage ask of us? What are we doing when we ask that question? We're trying to say, let's take what we've read, and let's make sure we have a practical, real-life application to this. That's what we have to do with this word love that shows up over and over and over in God's word. We can't just see it as a passive word out there. It asks and requires something of us. John would understand this when he writes in his epistle, we love because God first loved us. We love who? We love God? Well, certainly we do. But it's more general than that. We love, period. We love in general. We love everyone. We understand what love is. Why? Because God has shown love to us and offered love to us. And so, therefore, we turn it around and we go and we love. If you're confused about how to love someone, even your spouse, it's time to get the word of God open and say, how did Jesus love? How did God love? And we go and we do that. What does love require of you? Listen, as I said before, this is a dangerous question. Because I think love requires so much more of us than we're willing to actually ask. When we say things general like, I love the Lord, I love everyone. No, that's not a problem. I don't think we've stopped and asked the question, what does love require? Because that would, that would find some holes in what we're saying. Here's a word to remember, or the phrase, 
prove your love by how you what? Love daily. What are the results of this question? Prove your love by the results of that and putting those into practice. Here's a takeaway this morning. It's simple. Your Christian marriage will endure based on how much time and intention you put into growing closer to God. It's a key. We've been talking about that. And then asking these three questions. How much time you're going to spend in it? You can go home and say, hey, that's a nice little sermon. Those are some good questions. It's great. But it won't mean anything if you don't put it into practice and ask these questions or some version of these questions in your own life. Now, listen, young people here today, I realize you're not married yet. I don't think you're married. You know, those teens that are in the room, right? This is the time, teens, to solidify these questions as important in your life. These are the most important questions to solidify and, and, and remember. Don't forget any of the stuff we've talked about, a life in the Holy Spirit, living out your faith and growing in your faith. But when you start to think about that person, these are the questions you want to incorporate. As well as a teaching last week, teens, if you, don't, if you missed it. That was, that was directly for you last week, so go back and listen to that. So how about it? Ready to ask these questions of your spouse? Somebody just got hit by your spouse and said, yeah, start asking these questions, right? So if this week we can be of any help, blessing to you in this area, how to practically put this in place? If further you're like, hey, in such a short sermon we can't flush out all of the biblical background to help us come to where we, where we are at to get this, please let me know. I'd be happy to sit down and walk through all the contextual and biblical background that brings us to why these questions are so important also. Let's pray. Father, thank you for uh, just this time. And Lord, I know as good as we are and kind of, I'm kind of covering things up in the church world and make it look like, you know, everything's great, marriage is great, we're good. The reality is that's, that's, not, the, that's not the truth. And Lord, this morning there is some couple, even that's in this room or that's listening online, that is struggling, maybe at the brink. Father, I'm praying this morning for the restoration power of your Holy Spirit to work in their life. Lord, no marriage has been fixed just because somebody sits around and does nothing but wants it to be. There's work to be done, but you will walk with us hand in hand through it. Father, may these questions be something that helps somebody, not for their marriage to just endure. There's some that are enduring, and they're, they're making it. But we're asking that you would help our marriages thrive, to be deep and strong. And so, Lord, help us as we put these into practice in our life this week. We pray for great testimony in your son's name. Amen. Amen. Well, hey, if, again, if we can pray for you this week, the prayer request text comes out tomorrow. Um,